All right, Ephesians chapter 6. We are two weeks out, this week and next week, in our topical study uh, that we've titled Activate. We've been learning to put our faith into action. Uh, We are closing our study with an examination of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6 that Harry just read for us. In that passage, we're told what it is that we need to wear if we are going to resist the schemes of the devil. We've been asking a question, what do I do if my faith isn't working? We know that faith works. We know that faith is intended to work. And what do I do if my faith isn't working? One of the answers to that question is is we become aware and we respond to the fact that our flesh is weak. And we've seen a principle thus far in this study that's important for us as we as we continue, and that is this truth. Our faith will not work. Sorry, I skipped past it. Our faith will not work if we cannot overcome temptation. Okay? That truth is fundamental to this passage. Our faith will not work if we cannot overcome temptation. If we cannot overcome the temptation as it comes at us, of course we will look at our life and say, I'm not seeing my faith activated because every time I'm, I'm tempted, I'm giving into it. If we cannot learn to overcome temptation, we cannot see faith working in our lives. Well, God has given us tools so that we can overcome temptation. We've been talking about those for for over a month now. Watch and pray. Keep your guard up. Pray that God would keep you from temptation, that he would deliver you from evil. But specifically, what we've seen in this passage is that there are times when you cannot avoid temptation. There are times when there will be a collision and you must fight if we do not understand how to overcome temptation, if we cannot fight temptation, then it's certainly to be expected that we will not see our faith working itself out in our life. And so tonight, we're going to find part two of what we, uh, what we began two weeks ago. Uh, as we look at the armor of God, we titled this suit up. We got halfway through this a couple weeks ago, and tonight we come to part two of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 7. Paul kicks off this passage that that Harry just read with us by calling us to be strong in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We're called to be strong, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And we're going to see those markers all through this passage. That that it's not us in our strength. It's not even our armor. It's it's all God's. And so what we do is we, we put on his armor. Because as we're going to see later in verse 13, he says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist. So that, later in verse 13, you will be able to stand firm. This truth is fundamental to this passage, and it's important for us to know as we, as we learn, how do I put on this armor? We can only be strong in his strength if we wear his armor. Note that it's not be strong in his strength by putting on your armor. It's put on the armor of God. It's his strength. It's his armor. And and the question is, how do I be strong in his strength? You put on his armor. If we wear his armor, then we can be strong in the strength that he gives us. Well, Paul is then going to dive into... 
a, a picture, an illustration of this spiritual armor that we wear. He's not calling us to put on physical armor. It's spiritual in nature. But he uses images of physical armor for, for an awareness of, of what this armor is and what it accomplishes. So as we began to break this down, we started to see kind of the, the tools that he has equipped us with. We saw the essentials that we need for standing firm. The six pieces of armor are the six essentials for standing firm in the fight against temptation. We understood last time we looked at this that we need all of this armor. You, you would not be ready for a fight if all you did was put on the right shoes and there's no, there's no chest plate, there's no helmet, there's no shield, there's no sword, there's no belt. No, Paul's saying you need everything here. You need it all. We must put on the armor of God because it is essential for fighting temptation. So what we've seen thus far in this passage is first that we are to eliminate hindrances with the truth. Now, if you took notes last time, we've already covered this. We already covered the first three. So you're welcome to write them down, but you don't have to if you were here when we, when we did this. The, the first piece of armor is, is this. We're to eliminate hindrances with the truth. That is communicated when Paul says that we are to take up the full armor of God first by girding your loins with truth. We use the belt to tie up anything that could trip us up, to tie up any loose end. You gird your loins with truth. We eliminate hindrances with the truth. The second essential for fighting well is that we guard our heart. We guard our heart with righteous living. We have, we have the breastplate that, that protects our, our, our essential organs. And, and that is a defensive tool. It's guarding us. But the, that defensive tool, that breastplate, it's righteousness. And as we studied that, we saw that that refers to righteous living. That, that, that if we live righteously, that protects us from temptation. Said negatively, if we sin, that invites more and more struggle. If I live in obedience to God, that actively protects me from attacks against my soul. And so he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness, of righteous living. A third essential in this fight that we need to resist temptation is that we must gain traction with an awareness of the gospel. Paul says, shod your feet, put on the shoes. What are the shoes? They are the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, the gospel which brings us to peace with God. We're no longer at war with God. We, we gain traction in this fight. We hold this ground in our fight. We, we wear the proper shoes in this fight with the awareness that we are at peace with God. He is no longer our enemy. He is on our side. He is for us. And so in this fight against temptation, it's that gospel, it's that awareness in our mind that assures us that we're no longer at war with God. No, it's the gospel of peace. So these three things we saw last time, we must have in the fight of temptation. We must eliminate hindrances. We must bind them up with truth. We must know the word. We must guard our heart by living righteously. We must gain traction with an awareness of the gospel as we stand our ground and advance in the fight. Well, that brings us to a fourth essential that we're going to start diving into tonight. The, the fourth essential for standing firm in the fight against temptation is that we are to extinguish threats with a life marked by faith. We are to extinguish threats with a life that is marked by faith. 
Paul says in verse 16, in addition to all, all that we've said thus far, in addition to, to the other things that we've covered, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Paul expounds on this piece of armor more than he's expounded on any piece of armor up until this point. He not only talks about the armor, but he talks about threats, flaming arrows of the enemy that are coming at you. There are attacks, there are threats, there are what he refers to as fiery darts coming at you. You must have the shield of faith, he says. We're called to have a shield. You know what a shield is? It's a defensive mechanism. This is not, I, heard, I was talking to someone about this earlier today. Don't, when you think shield, don't think Captain America, okay? This is not an offensive weapon where you kill people with your shield. This is defensive, okay? There's darts coming at you. You, you stop them. You extinguish them, the text says, that we're called to extinguish the darts with the shield of faith. These flaming arrows... Not just arrows coming at you. They're arrows that are on fire. They're common in warfare at that time. They're, 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 they're effective because not, you don't have to hit your target necessarily, right? A flaming arrow hits the ground and things start lighting on fire. So he's saying, extinguish them with your shield. Put out the fire with the shield. So the question is, what do we have? What has God given us? What has he equipped us with so that we can extinguish these attacks from the enemy that are coming at us? Well, that's answered in the statement that it is the shield of faith. The shield that we have to extinguish the enemy's attacks is the shield of faith. Now, we have had opportunity with every one of these to ask the question, is Paul just saying that, that we need to have faith? We need to be saved? We need to place our faith in God? And, and, and we need to understand, Paul's writing to believers. These people already have faith, saving faith. What Paul is calling them to do in every one of these points is not to go be a believer. No, what Paul is calling them to do is live a life that is marked by faith. Now, at times it may be easy to see faith as a one-time event, that, that faith is what leads to salvation. We talk about that a lot, right? We're saved by faith. We place our faith, our trust, our, our confidence in Christ. And it's by faith that we're saved through the grace of God, but in our, we have faith. But it would be error to view faith as a one-time event in your life that you never return to. No, in fact, what, what Habakkuk says, what the, what the book of Habakkuk says, is that the righteous shall live by faith. This is an important passage, and it's key to understanding this. Habakkuk 2.4 doesn't just say the righteous have faith at one point, but that the righteous man, the righteous woman, lives by faith. You live every day. You go through every day with faith. And that is similar but different from the faith that saved you. The faith by which you are saved is, is a one-time event. But it becomes a marker of your life for the, entire, for the entirety of your Christian life. You are to live a life that is marked by faith. Perhaps a way to understand this would be to say those who have faith live faithfully. Track with that. If you have faith, it makes sense that you would live full of faith, that you would live faithfully. 
We saw in Hebrews chapter 11, back early on in this study, where we're talking about the fact that faith works. Faith always works. What we looked at was Hebrews chapter 11, which goes through biblical history and shows all of these people who did glorious things for God. And if you remember, every one of those illustrations kicked off with what statement? By faith. By faith, they did the great things that they did. Their lives were remembered for their actions, but those actions came from their faith. Because those who have faith live faithfully. Faith works. Faith is never isolated to a one-time decision. Well, Paul says you must have the shield of a life that is marked by faith. What is faith? Before we jump into what faith is, I think scripture helps us understand what faith is not. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 says, We live by faith rather than by sight. So the opposite of faith would be sight. We don't live by sight, we live by faith, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. So faith has to do not with what we can see, but rather what we cannot see. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 kicks off with. It's, it's, the, it's the confidence in things not seen, the evidence in things hoped for. If we are to live a life marked by faith, it is a life in which we are setting our mind, our, our hope, our trust on heavenly things, not earthly things, on that which is eternal, not temporal, that which is of God, not of man. Faith is not the statement that just like, I hope this is all going to work out. I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm going to jump in and, and I, hope, I hope I don't die. Faith is a confidence. It, it's a trust. It's trusting God. It's trusting in him that he will do what he says. And it's placing your hope in that. It's not a one-time thing. Students, daily, daily, you must work to place your faith and trust and hope in God. We can put all this together to understand this principle from this passage. The attacks of the enemy are extinguished when they reach someone living by faith. The attacks of the enemy are extinguished when they reach a man or a woman whose faith and hope and trust is in God. When the the fiery arrows of the enemy, when when arrows of lust reach you, they're, they're extinguished when they reach a man or woman who's focused on heaven rather than on earth, who's focused on Christ rather than on man. Hatred and pride and guilt and and, and evil speech and idolatry, all sorts of fiery arrows that are coming at you. Faithful living extinguishes them. Living by faith causes you to be in in a position where you're ready. But only if those arrows reach someone whose hope is not in this world but in heaven, whose trust is not in men but in God. We must live by faith. Students, don't lower your shield in the fight against temptation. Sometimes we lower our shield willingly to invite temptation. Sometimes it happens by accident. You may find that it's difficult to live by faith. Like when it gets late in the day, when you're getting tired, 
Your, your ability to resist temptation is wearing down. It's, it's harder to, to proverbially hold up that shield. Paul says, keep the shield, take it up, hold it up, so that you can extinguish the fiery darts of the enemy. We must remember that principle. We must extinguish threats with a life that is marked by faith. But there is more armor for us to take up. Not only do we need to be live in a, in a longing and hoping and believing and knowing that God will keep his promises, but, but, but this, this next piece of armor, we can understand it this way. We are to rest assured with the knowledge of your salvation. Rest assured with the knowledge of your salvation. The next piece of armor is highlighted in verse 17. He calls them to take up the helmet of salvation. This is the final piece of defensive armor in this list. Perhaps the last thing that a, that a soldier would have put on. Take the helmet and place it on your head. A blow to the head is a fatal blow. And so what does Paul call us to, to proverbially place upon our head? What does he call us to, to defend ourselves with last? He calls it the helmet of salvation. Now again, is Paul saying, go be saved. Go have salvation. No, it probably doesn't make sense for him to be saying that. Rather, what I believe Paul is calling us to do in this passage is to have an awareness, a knowledge, an assurance of our salvation. And so I think what he's calling us to do is to rest assured with the knowledge of your salvation. Rest assured with, with the confidence of the fact that you have been saved, that God is saving you, and that he will ultimately deliver you. God is a savior. He is a saver. Even in the Old Testament, we see David referring to God as, as his Savior and Deliverer. And it's in a different sense than we talk about it. But he's looking at God and he's saying, Father, deliver me, save me from this painful situation. And maybe in a similar way that Paul's calling us here to, to trust and to rest in the fact that God delivers us. Deliver me from evil, we saw in the Lord's Prayer a few weeks back. Save me from evil. Salvation is a marker of all that God does. He saves us at one point in history and declares us righteous, but we're also told by Paul that he is actively saving us and that ultimately one day we will be delivered. So I believe what Paul is calling us to do here is to put on the helmet of salvation, this knowledge, this awareness that God is and will save in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul uses very similar terminology. He calls them to put on the helmets of the hope of salvation. He emphasizes there a future-looking emphasis of the helmet of salvation, that there is a hope. There is a hope because of salvation, even a hope ultimately in salvation. There's, there's future anticipation. I believe we could understand application for this, that we should maintain confidence that God has and will deliver us. Maintain that awareness and that confidence and that assurance. Understand this truth, this principle, assurance of salvation, protects us from the doubts that the enemy introduces. I believe that that's ultimately what Paul is battling here. He's telling them the enemy is going to whisper lies into your ear. Lies that you aren't a believer. Or, or lies that God will not save you. That he will not deliver you. And what he's calling us to do is to arm ourselves against those lies. Put on the helmet. The helmet of the assurance. The hope of salvation. 
Because assurance of salvation protects us from the doubts that the enemy introduces. Embrace the salvation of God. He has saved you from sin. He will save you from punishment in hell. He will deliver you from evil. So put on the helmet of salvation. Rest assured in the knowledge of your salvation. Well, that brings us to a final piece of armor. The final piece of armor, the sixth piece of armor that Paul calls the Ephesians to put on is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Look at verse 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I believe what Paul is calling us to do in this passage is to fight temptation with Scripture. Fight temptation with scripture the last piece of armor that we are called to put on is for the first time not a defensive piece but this is our weapon this is the offensive tool by the way the only offensive tool that you have in this fight paul said put on the right shoes put on the breastplate put on the belt put on the helmet have the shield but don't forget your weapon, take up your sword, the sword of the spirit, which is, he says, which is the word of God. He makes this not debatable, but painfully clear. What is the sword of the spirit? It is the word of God. Your sword in the fight against temptation is your Bible. It is the very words that God has spoken. What Paul is calling us to do is to take up a weapon. Student, if you are going to be in a battle, you need a weapon. It is essential. No good soldier goes to war without a weapon. Okay? You don't fight with a helmet. There's, a, there's, a, there's an old movie where, where two guys are out of ammo. They're shooting bullets at each other, and so they don't know what to do. They both take off their helmets and just chuck them at each other. But that's bad spiritual warfare. Don't take off your helmet. Don't put down your sword. No, take up the word of God. Fight temptation with scripture. A weapon is fundamentally offensive. Paul's calling us to fight with the word of God. There there is... A significant statement when you bring a weapon into a scenario, right? Like if I come up to you and and I ask for $5 and you're like, no. But if I come up to you and I have a gun and I'm like, can I have $5? You're like, yeah, because $5 isn't worth dying for, right? Maybe for some of you it is, but (laughs) probably not. The weapon heightens the scenario it makes the scenario serious and by the way the person with the better weapon normally wins if we're having a knife fight that's good but if someone shows up with a gun nobody's charging them with a knife right you respect the best weapon well well paul says you have a weapon and and your weapon is powerful your weapon is the very word of god so how are we to use this weapon in the fight against temptation Students, understand that to avoid your Bible is to go to battle without a weapon. It's it's not like going to a gunfight with a knife. It's going into nuclear warfare with nothing. 
You have nothing without the word of God. It is your only weapon. To ignore your weapon is to go into battle without anything with which you can fight. It's idiotic. It will lead to death. You cannot go to war without it. But how often do we go through the battles that we face day in and day out with temptation without our weapon? Of course, your faith won't work. Of course, you'll struggle to see your faith activated in your life if you're going into a battle and you don't have the one weapon that you need in that battle. Turn over to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, we're going to close in in the Old Testament, right in the middle of your Bibles, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, I want to look at verses 9 through 11. The psalmist writes, how can a young man... Keep his way pure. How can I be pure? How can I be righteous? By keeping it according to your word. The only way, we're told in the psalmist, for me to remain pure is to keep my life in accordance with God's word. And so he he says what's in verse 10. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word, your word, my sword, your word I have treasured in my heart so that I might not sin against you. The psalmist says, I have your word in my heart because it's only with your word in my heart that I can avoid sinning against you. It's only with your word in my heart that that I can go into battle and actually expect to put up a fight. Because the word of God is your weapon. It is only if you know the truth of scripture and are applying that to your life that you can know how to resist temptation. It's only if you know scripture that you can know when temptation's coming. It's only if you know scripture that you can expose the lies of temptation. And it's only through scripture that you can know how you ought to conduct your life. Students, you must know the word. You must study the word. You must pray through the word and meditate on the word and memorize the word. You must devote yourselves to the word of God. Because without it, you are going into a battle with no chance. You have no weapon. doing some reading this week and um, a few passages of men that are now dead but have spoken wisely about the importance of the word of God in the life of a believer. I'll put up a few few quotes. You guys can write that down if you want. Your Bible is your only weapon in the fight. It's a simple statement but so important for us to to remember. This is your only weapon. I was reading this earlier today. J.C. Ryle writes these words. I plead for my master's book, my Bible. And I call upon you not to forget the book of the soul. Give the Bible honor due to it every day that you live. Whatever you read, read that first. I suspect there is more harm done to souls in this way than most people have an idea as possible. 
Those that are nearest the word are best, and those that are farthest from it are worse. J.C. Ryle in his book, Thoughts for Young Men, and I think it's applicable to young women as well, is that you must value the word of God. You must give it the honor that it's due. Whatever you do, read it first, knowing that those who spend the most time with it are best, and those who are furthest from it are worse. John Wesley, I love this quote, says this. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. I want to know how to land safe on that happy shore. Now, God himself has condescended to teach me the way, and he has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me the book of God. I have it, so let me be a man of one book. I love that statement, and I want that to function as a model for us, that we would be a man and a woman, a student of one book, that we would take up the weapon knowing that it is only with it that we ever have a fight against temptation. We need all of this armor. We need every piece. If we neglect any one of these, we will fail in the fight against temptation. And thus, we will struggle to see our faith activated in our lives. So let's pursue this armor. Let's pursue standing strong in his strength so that we can resist. Let's put on the full armor of God so that we can resist the schemes of the devil. And let's help each other as we pursue applying these six essentials in the fight against temptation. Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word in regards to what we must do to prepare ourselves for this fight. Help us to apply these principles to our life. Help us to know that they are essential. Help us not to neglect any one of them. Help us not to go into a battle without our weapon. And Father, help us to keep each other accountable in pursuit of these things. Thank you for your word and our time together tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.